Welcome to In the Isles, the movie and TV podcast that doesn't want to meet multiverse versions of itself in case they're better looking and more successful. I'm James. I'm Dan. This week, we're going to talk about what we've been watching. We'll cover some real news. And our main review is Reminiscence, starring Hugh Jackman. Not Reminisce, which I erroneously announced last week. It's like it's got that weird... You know, the, I don't know what the correct term is, but like a word illusion where when I read it, that's what I saw. So I'm, I'm on the same page as you, though. I made the same mistake. Should certain that it said reminisce, but clearly not. Yeah, never mind. Can I tell you an awkward story? Oh, please do. I love these, yeah. So I was at the Maker's Market, which is a arts and crafts market that also has street food. There was a Greek food stall i went to the food stall and i ordered greek barbecue gyros and gyros people before before me they were ordering something that looked very similar and then they were standing off to the side and receiving a a stick of meat from the second member of staff so i ordered my meat gyros and then stood to the side thinking, I'm going to receive my meat stick from this guy. But no meat stick came. I was just stood in silence at the stall looking aimlessly. And the second member of staff, who was the preparing food guy, said, i waiting for something. And it was at that moment that I realised that I'd ordered the item that doesn't have the meat stick included. So I was stood waiting not eating my gyros in silence. And when the guy said, are you waiting for something? Instead of saying, oh, I thought I was going to get the steak off. Sorry, I've realized that I've not ordered that thing. Sorry. I just said no and walked off. You hadn't paid, had you? No, I'd paid. Yeah, I'd paid. I had my food. I had my food. Oh, right. (laughs) Okay. I misunderstood there. Right. So I had my food in my hand complete. I was. I should have just left, but I was stood waiting for something that was never going to come. But then after I said no and walked off, I thought, right, to make this more believable, I just need to look like I'm someone that stands and just looks at things. So I walked off about 10 feet and then just stood staring at a tree for a bit. Because I thought if anyone's watching me, they need to think, oh, this is just something that he does. He just likes to look at, stand and look at things. Because I wanted to make it look like I wasn't mistakenly waiting for a meat stick, that I was intentionally standing and looking at something. I, th- I feel like you've made it worse. To be okay. honest, I think if, if you just turn around, walk off, never look back, you know, it's fine. Don't, don't worry about it. It's done now, isn't it? Okay. Okay. Um, can I pose a moral conundrum to you and just just see what you think? Okay. Shoot. Shoot from your hip. <laughs> you know this whole bin saga that's that's gone on throughout the life of this podcast, where you know people keep nicking my red bin, and it's happened again, and as a result, there's a pile of bin bags accumulating uh, towards the back of my house. Well. My neighbour, who is also my landlord, he moved out this last weekend. And guess what? 
he's got a bottle bin. It's not in use. So my question is, should I temporarily steal this bin? Is is it wrong to do so? I have every intention on returning it when somebody moves in. I think it's fine. Right. Okay. It's a victimless. What we're going to say, a crime. It's not. It's not a crime. It's a victimless act. The person that is going to be in that house next will never know what's the problem. Does the fact that his garden gate is locked affect this? So it means I have to remove my fence panel and bring it into my own garden. Still acceptable? No, that's that's too much. I think. That's, Why? That's much. That's. Mm, it's just the, going it's to the, waste. It's the forced entry side of it. I think that's that makes it. How is your bin nicked, but his bin isn't nicked? That's not a fair question. I'm I'm victim blaming there. I'm sorry, yeah, don't answer. Really, that. really don't, don't know. Really don't know. Yeah. Oh, um, okay, right. I thought you were with me then, and I was getting dead excited because I've been building up the courage to go and do it, and now I'm just back to square one. Probably going to leave it. General chat doesn't normally go on this long. I want I want your opinion on something else. <laughs> we went for a meal the other day, right? I look forward to a meal. You can tell. Look at me. Um, a fat reference. Got really bad self-esteem issues. Um, <laughs> get there. Order a Diet Coke. It arrives. It's flat. Do I mention it? Yeah, of course I do. Because I can't drink flat Coke. I'm just not going to put with it. So I mentioned it. She replaced it. Thank you very much. Not that much of a problem. Order my meal. Chicken Caesar salad. I'll never order a salad when I go out, by the way. I think it's just a wasted opportunity. But thinking of bettering myself i did it but i thought i'm gonna treat myself let's let's indulge a bit i'll throw some anchovies on there because it was an option it arrives no anchovies <sighs> so i thought do it am i am i going to be british about it do i mention anything no i'm not I'm, I'm having a salad here i've compromised and i wanted my anchovies so i mentioned it again she goes brings it back problem solved yet again but then when i i dig through the salad there's no parmesan, which is key <laughs> to a Caesar salad. Now, at which point I thought, I've gone too far. I just look like a morning myrtle. I can't say anything. So I just put up and shut up and ate my way through. And it wasn't, it didn't blend together as it should as a dish. It was missing that cheese. Do you not tip? Because a mistake is a mistake, as people say. But three mistakes is a mistake, a mistake, a mistake. And that's too, too many. I just I just don't think you should tip. But then yeah, my, strikes. my partner said, that's not the waitress's fault. That's the chef's fault. But I'm paying for the experience, right? So I, 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 I didn't tip. My mother-in-law did. Would you? I never tip. So you're asking another <gasps> person. Never? No, never. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. All right. That's that one solved. <laughs> James, what have you been watching? Cruel Summer on Amazon Prime, which was aired in the US earlier in the year, I believe, but it's new to Amazon Prime. It is a teen drama. However, this is not just another teen drama. The gimmick with this is that it cuts between three summers in 1993, 1994, and 1995. You can see that something bad has happened probably 1994 but what that is and who was responsible is slowly revealed as the 10 episodes go on 
it's difficult to talk about for that reason because the fun of watching it comes from getting these little bits of information. What happened to these characters? In 1993, the teenage main characters are all at the peak of their lives. Kate has a boyfriend and she has a full voluminous head of hair. Jeanette has her two best friends with her. They're all happy. In 1994, people have moved on a bit. Allegiances have changed. And by 1995, it's a desaturated nightmare. There's a different colour palette for each year. And that's what makes this better than just a teen drama because they've put effort into distinguishing between the three years visually. And the performances show it as well. You can tell by how people act that the events have impacted them. And that's what keeps you going. Chiara Aurelia in particular, who plays Jeanette, who's the main character. Well, there's two main characters. She does a really good job of showing how she behaves differently in each year. Olivia Holt was the, the same, but I think Chiara Aurelia just has more, more work to do. So I'd recommend it. I dismissed it at first as I thought, this is a teen drama, whatever. But actually, I was fully invested in what happens. Very strong ending as well. Obviously, we can't talk about the ending, but it implies that, oh, you're getting a second season. I don't think it needs one. This felt like a very self-contained story. I don't see why they want to run it into the ground personally. But are you up for more of it? I didn't see there was a second season being set up. I don't know where that's come from. Well, we can't talk about it because we can't spoil about it. Uh, because we can't spoil it, but we'll, we'll we'll talk offline. Okay. I personally find it hard to distinguish between two of the time periods, but I admit that they've they've put a lot of a lot more effort in than you would see in standard fare. Did you know what I was referring to with regards to episode nine? I told you that it was very strong and it felt very different. Yes, I know. I knew what you meant. It's very different from the other ones, and it covers more time. That's the difference with that. I think. Yeah, it's a, it's a big explainer. And it is hard to describe it without spoiling it, but it depicts a very complicated subject in an extremely sensitive, yet informative manner, I would say. Very well put, yes, I I'd agree with that. Yeah. yeah. Another thing to note, when we talked about the Fear Street trilogy on Netflix, one of my complaints was that it didn't seem very much like it was set in the 90s. They just slapped in some UK British music. Cruel Summer does seem very much like it's set in the 90s. The costumes, the hair, the accessories that people wear, the posters. does a much better job of showing the 90s than Fear Street, I felt. I think I'd agree with you on that. Yeah, that nails it a lot more. So what else have you been watching? Brand new Cherry Flavour. On Netflix, starring Rosa Salazar, who you might recognise as the voice of Alita Battle Angel. This is also in the 90s, and it's about an aspiring filmmaker who goes to Hollywood to have her script made. She wants to direct it, but a producer basically steals the script. An evil male producer steals the script. And she takes revenge by having a witch place a curse on the producer but at what cost to her at what cost and the main draw with this program i think is with this creepy disturbing body horror that is in it rosa salazar 
vomits cats. She grows new holes on her body that are used for sexy time. There are zombie-like people. Eyeballs are a recurring theme. I enjoyed it. I watched all of it. I was into it. You wonder what disturbing witchcraft is going to happen next. However, I do wish there was a bit more plot to it. The plot isn't that engaging. It sets up this producer still in the script. They do the curse. And I was waiting for some more plot developments to come. Not random events, which do have, there is like a spontaneous combustion of someone but there's not that much more to the plot. You do get some background to the Catherine Kenner witch character, and you do eventually find out more about Rosa Salazar, but it's a bit slow to get there, and then it ends a bit abruptly. Rosa Salazar is brilliant, though. Carries the series very well. She goes through a lot physically in this, and I like to see someone put the physical effort into it. You really feel the, the drama that she's going through in the programme. That's brand new cherry flavor on Netflix. Or three week old cherry flavor, judging from when it came out. Yep. Very good. I will be checking that out, I think. I have heard it's a bit marmite. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree. One of my issues with it was the person. I've learned later that it's based on part of a book or part of the first book of a series. I wonder what it would have been like if they just condensed the book a bit more, done more of the book because it does seem a bit like, come on, just get on with it at times. Mm. But worth a look, nonetheless, by the sense of it. Yeah. Daniel, what have you been watching? I went and watched Val. This is a documentary, and it's about Val Kilmer, the actor. He, I suppose, has always been a bit of an elusive character in Hollywood, and those old enough to remember, which I'm ashamed to say includes me and you, James, they will know that he had his hair day back in the 90s, I would argue, and he's kind of disappeared into insignificance throughout the last decade and a half, I would say. And even way back before the age of social media and cancel culture, I do remember distinctly that he managed to almost cancel himself by gaining a reputation for being really difficult to work with. So his legacy is pretty much... Yeah, he starred in a few iconic roles. He was a bit too big for his boots, became a complete pen in the ass to work with and was just shunned by the industry thereafter. And he's been quiet for so long that it's weird because he, he made a few social appearances in, in more recent years and he looks completely different to how you remember him. And it is in a sort of like what the hell has happened sort of way i'm not trying to be disrespectful at all it's just a fact and last year he came out and he told the world that he's been battling throat cancer for a number of years and i do wonder how many people because of his reputation had quite a nasty outlook on what had happened to him like oh he's he's a bit of a knobhead he probably did himself in with drugs and whatever because confession that was my opinion that was my ill-informed opinion of what had happened to Val Kilmer. And this feels like a complete F you to everybody who thought that, myself included, because it re-examines his legacy and somehow manages to create him a new one. It is, in effect, setting the record straight from Val Kilmer's point of view. And yes, it could be seen as a bit of a puff piece for him, but there's so much more 
to it than that. It's it's about his journey as an actor and some of the sacrifices that he had to make along the way. What he truly thought about playing Batman, for example, that comes up and he describes it as an incredibly isolating experience because the bat suit was that thick that people would come up to him and speak to him and he'd just be like, I, I can't hear you. So throughout the production, people just thought there's no point talking to him. So he just was completely distanced from everyone. And because of that, he was like, I don't want to play Batman ever again. And I find that hilarious because I remember reading IMDb trivia that says, contrary to popular belief, Val Kilmer incredibly enjoyed playing the role of Batman. He clearly didn't. He said he didn't. Um, so take every IMDb piece of trivia with a pinch of salt. In this, I feel like there's like a real brutal honesty to it all. And I'm not an idiot. I know that some things are probably sugar-coated or they've omitted them entirely. But the good thing about this is it, a key part of why the film exists is he was obsessively filming massive amounts of his life on home video for the last 40 years. So you get this raw insight into aspects of his life. And I suppose as a film lover, I just found that really fascinating. There's these tidbits of information. Like at one point you see him arguing with a director on the set during the filming of The Island of Dr. Moreau, which was a really troubled production. And he's refusing to stop documenting how much of a shambles it is. And it just causes this war of words with the director. It's just like, oh my God, I can't believe you've got this sort of um, stuff that you've been able to film. And then there's another scene where he is attending a screening of Tombstone in more recent years. And he's signing autographs and he starts to talk to the camera as much as he can about how people will perceive it as being embarrassing and has he sold out, but he's, he's lost the ability to act. He, he literally can hardly speak. You can't decipher what he's saying without subtitles. So what is the left for him to do? And because of that, his son narrates over this film, which is something we discussed on the previous episode. And he's using his father's words. And it's such a perfect decision because although it's not Val Kilmer's voice, you can hear him in it. And that was quite emotionally impacting for me. And I did feel really touched genuinely with this film, so much so that I did think about it for a long time after. Um, it's just, I, I had a rejuvenated appreciation for the man, I'm not going to lie. I, it's just a really poignant portrait of quite a complicated and talented guy because his legacy you can just tell from what he goes through in this film it's not what he intended it to be when he set out as an actor but I think this perfectly encapsulates him as an artist and more importantly I suppose a human being a nice tribute I think but he is still alive isn't he yeah, no, it did sound like you said legacy dead. and tribute a few times, which makes it sound like he's dead, but he's not dead. But that is what it feels like. It, it's not saying, oh, yeah, he's completely redundant now that he can't speak. But that part of his life is gone. And I think there's an acknowledgement of that with this. And that's why it feels a bit, not that he's died, but th there's an element of that. There's a death of something here. Yeah. And I think. Yeah, so sorry for implying that he is alive and as well as he can be. Okay. I, I really want that to come out on Amazon Prime in the UK. I'm not going to watch it at the cinema. I can't be bothered, but I cannot wait because even the trailer, the point you've said about Val Kilmer's son doing the voice, that 
was powerful just in the trailer. Mm. Yeah. And I don't want, I think I've painted it as a bit of a slog and, you know, an emotional drain for people. It's not that. It's quite a happy celebration in many ways, but that doesn't mean there's some sad stuff. There's not some sad stuff in there as well, just, just to be clear. Okay. Also, you've just said tidbit there. Yeah. I've just looked it up because I always thought it was titbit. Is it? Well, it's titbit in the UK, but it's tidbit in American and Canadian English. Right. I'll sincerely apologise because um, I am. I'm not asking you to apologise. It's fine. it's fine. Well, I'm glad you corrected me because I don't want to Americanize the way that I speak. Uh, I'm not American, so tit bit what else have you been watching i've been watching the new amazon prime series which has broken records in the us i've been watching nine perfect strangers i'm going to read the synopsis from wikipedia because i just can't be bothered summarizing it myself it's about nine strangers from the city who gather for a 10-day retreat at tranquilliam house a health and wellness resort which promises to transform and heal the guests who stay there. The resort is not what it seems to be and the guests are about to discover many secrets about each other and the resort's host, Masha, who is played by Nicole Kidman. If you didn't feel it already from that, there is definite echoes of M. Night Shyamalan's latest film, Old, and The White Lotus with this which is very odd because they've all come out in very quick succession. And it is especially weird because if you take the first 20 minutes of old, the white Lotus and this, it's pretty much the same initial setup. But the important thing is they are telling very, very different stories. And that's why I'm not bored by this yet. I started watching this at the same time as the white Lotus and it leans a lot more on the mystery angle of, ooh, what's really going on with the resort and what we're going to uncover about all these people. The reason why I say it's interesting with the White Lotus is it's got shades of humour in there too, which is definitely there with White Lotus. And it means that it's not an entirely depressing affair because it could well have been. Because you've got each of these guests, they've gone to the, the retreat because they are damaged in some way. And often they've got very heavy reasons for why that might be. It could be like the death of a relative or drug abuse and so on. But like I say, it balances it well with some genuinely funny moments. With regards to the mystery itself, it's it's a slow burn in many respects. Things are teased and hinted at, but not often resolved. And four episodes in, because that's all that's out at the moment, not a lot of the key questions that you had at the start have really been answered but I am still hooked because it's not just the suspense that works in this. There's, there's a joy that you get out of watching all these people within the resort react to the very weird and wonderful healing practices that Marsha puts them through. And I think that's largely that enjoyment down to them having an absolutely stellar ensemble cast. There's not a weak link in here at all. You've got Nicole Kidman who continues to, act and look incredible you've got Bobby Carnaval I don't know if I'm saying his name right he's always good in everything that I've seen you've got actors actor Michael Shannon the list goes on there's nine of them so I'm not going to name them all 
but they're all bringing it to the table. And in the later episodes, the last two, there's some really like powerful performances that are on display. There's, there's a lot of character moments. And the biggest revelation for me is that Melissa McCarthy, who I've never been a fan of because she tends to star in shit comedies. I don't think we'll have lost too many listeners from me saying that. That's fine. The, the range of emotions that she has to elicit in this, she nails every single one of them. She's phenomenal. I, I loved her in this. So I'm completely down for where this is going. I think it's established its characters really well and the way in which it's going about building up that tension to a yet unknown conclusion. I'm, I'm very intrigued. So I will stick it through. Very good. It's something that I am planning to watch. 60% on Rotten Tomatoes, which was surprising. I thought this was an undisputed massive hit. Seems I was wrong about that. Doesn't mean that you're wrong. Not saying you're wrong. Not saying we should be influenced by the critics. I'm just surprised to see it's at 60%. I was surprised with that because I, uh, similar to you, I thought this was a, a knockout success, but clearly some people are a bit on the fence. And it's not all been released yet, so you can't judge it as a complete piece, can you? Yeah. Good IMDb score, though. 7.4, which is well over your threshold. Yeah. Flown past it. Yeah. The number one show on IMDb. Obviously, just sorry, just really quick one, because I did mention it there. White Lotus. I've watched it now. It's brilliant. I, I agree with everything that you said. Probably. In fact, definitely within my top five for the end of the year. And I don't think anything's going to claim that spot from it. It's that damn good. So you were correct. Thank you, James, for the recommendation. You're welcome. From what we've been watching to what we have watched and discussed together on a previous episode, it's the quiz time. Don't have an name for it or a jingle. I will provide you with a positive review and a negative review from IMDb of one of our past main reviews from an episode. You may ask for hints. I have five hints prepared. You can also ask me questions. I'm ready. Okay. Positive review. Great film about the overreach of law enforcement. 10 out of 10. In an era where Americans are rioting over police overreach comes this masterpiece. A film about the corruption of law when its enforcement no longer is to... What? <laughs> this is the, but the wrong apostrophe for the it's. Um, a film about the corruption of law when its enforcement is no longer to serve and protect its citizens, but rather rob them of their rights. Great action, steamy romance, and no political narratives. Negative review. Too long and a terrible ending. One out of ten. 2.5 hours too long. Movie picked up in the fourth quarter with some good action. Main character dies after stealing $1 billion. Where did the billion go? Well, the main character's girl may have walked away with 100k stuffed inside her bigger-than-average purse. More money on the check of 350k the main character got during that exchange. The she did not take off the guy's now-dead body. Do not watch this movie. This 2.5 hours. Would have been better spent saying goodbye to my family on my deathbed. Wow. Strong words. Strong words. 
what's that previous movie that we've reviewed in our podcast? I feel like we failed again because I, I know what it is. <laughs> okay. <laughs> right, okay. But let me solidify my thought with, with a few questions. Okay. Is this a Netflix film? Yes. Okay. Was this one of our first, we're only in single digits episodes? Yes. Yeah, I know what it is. I've just forgotten what the name of the film is. Is it an American crime? Yeah, American crime. The last days of American crime. That's the one, yeah. Oh, my God. I don't know how I've even retained any memory of that film because it was awful. It was awful. Terrible. Don't know how anyone gave that a positive review, but never mind. Well, no professional critics did. It's got 0% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is one of my hints for you. Oh, I think that was fair. Um, well, go on, just, just out of pure curiosity, what, what were your other hints? It's on Netflix, which you asked anyway. We reviewed it in 2020. The lead character is very engaging and charismatic. That was a, yeah. a sarcastic hint. And final hint, it has one of the most uncomfortable and least sexy sex scenes ever. I don't even remember that bit, to be honest. You don't have to describe it as probably too much. Yeah, I'll just, yeah. yeah probably the best. Right. I do think this could be a good segment, but I think what we have to do... <laughs> Let's expand it beyond what we've watched on this podcast. It just has to be something that we know the other person is has either watched or is aware of. Should we do that for okay. next week? Yeah, so it could be any any film ever made that fairly, that we can be confident the other person has seen. Yes. Okay, yeah. Okay. Appreciate the effort that went into that. I'm just glad that it backfired on you like it did on me the previous week. Okay. <laughs> Real news? Because nothing can yes. go wrong there. Nothing, nothing. It's the real thing. It is now. Real, real news, news. A brief one from The Hollywood Reporter. They're reporting on an interview with Frank Oz, legendary puppeteer from The Muppets and Sesame Street and the voice of Yoda. He says that he's been shunned from Muppets projects because he won't follow orders. So I'll pull out the quotes for you. I'd love to do Muppets again, but Disney doesn't want me, and Sesame Street hasn't asked me for 10 years. They don't want me because I won't follow orders, and I won't do the kind of puppets they believe in. He goes on to say about the current Muppets and Sesame Street projects, the soul's not there, the soul is what makes things grow and be funny, but I miss them and love them. There's an inability for corporate America to understand the value of something they bought. They never understood with us. It's not just about the puppets. It's about the performers who love each other and have worked together for many years. That's what he says. Scathing words. He pulls no punches. My thought reading this was about the people that do work with Disney. People like J.J. Abrams, and I wonder, do they work with Disney because they can follow orders? And are they just making the film that Disney tells them to make and then take the blame for it? Valid observation. Maybe they are, in fact, puppets themselves. 
Enius. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to take a cynical view on this and say he's a bit bitter. They haven't asked him to do Muppets again because he's getting on a bit and they can't afford for him to die during production. Excellent point. Well, cynical point. Yes, you think maybe they've just thought, we don't really want you to do it anymore. You loved the most recent Muppets movie, didn't you? One of my favourite films of all time. And as far as I'm aware, because I weirdly looked up Franco's the other day, he's not been a Muppet puppet for like 12 years or something. So somebody's already been doing these characters for years. So they don't need him anymore. So, Okay, interesting perspective. Yeah, Love the guy, though. Love yeah, him. yeah. I was coming at it from the other side and thinking Disney doesn't want creative people. They just want people that can manage projects in the way that they want. Certainly less of a headache for them. So maybe it's a combination of both. Yeah, and I like his comments about the inability of corporate America to understand the value of something they bought, which again I think applies to Star Wars because the sequel trilogy was terrible and didn't have the soul of the originals or even the prequels. So that was why I was leaning more to sympathising with Frank on this one. Mm. Our mate Frank. Talk to Frank. That's a drug helpline if anybody wishes to use it. Um, Shocked, James. Somewhat shocked to hear you condemn the latest Star Wars trilogy. I know that you weren't keen on many aspects of it but that was sweeping statement you said it's awful so i've been radicalized by the endless stream of youtube videos dissecting every moment of them telling you that they're awful 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 fair enough uh, works for me anything else on the news front empire the uk film magazine has got a quote about Marvel's Eternals and Nomadland saying that they have the same thematic resonance. And I just think it's amazing to draw a line between Nomadland and the Eternals. Can you guess what the thematic resonance might be? Probably not if you've not seen the Eternals trailer or know anything about them. Gypsy mentality? You're pretty close. You're pretty close. So Nate Moore, the producer of The Eternals and many other Marvel films, he is quoted as saying, Chloe Zhao is interested in telling stories about outsiders who find themselves adrift in new worlds. Nomadland and Eternals both share that DNA. Nomadland doesn't have the same bells and whistles as The Eternals, but has the same thematic resonance. You were pretty close. Yeah, yeah, I was, I was on the right track, yeah. I, do you know what? I could have probably guessed that if I'd have thought harder. I wouldn't have said verbatim what you've just said, but I'd have, been, I'd have been even closer. Well, from your perspective, I'm sure you're hoping that there's a bit more that goes on in The Eternals than in Nomadland, where essentially nothing happened at all. Yeah, I don't want to see Gemma Chan shitting in a bucket. Or maybe, <laughs> or maybe I do. Maybe I do. <laughs> Should probably leave it there. Yep. Hello, I'd 
like to order an opinion, please. This film is new, fresh point of view. Hold me sit back, this is a fact. We in the aisles, here are some aisles. Thoughts in sync, tell you what to think. I'll listen to you, but please don't rap again. This week's main review is Reminiscence. You're going on a journey. A journey through memory. All you have to do is follow my voice. We're closed. I know, I'm sorry it's late. We have time for one more job. began to rise and war broke out. Nostalgia became a way of life. There wasn't a lot to look forward to. So people began looking back. Nothing is more addictive than the past. No, 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 put me back. Put me back. I understand. She's moved on, and you should too. People don't just to find where she'd gone, I had to know where she'd been. Was she running from the past? Or racing back towards it? How much did you really know her? How much did you know? Who was she? Who was she when not with me? You think you want answers? Well, you don't. Mercy. Nick Bannister, a private investigator of the mind, navigates the darkly alluring world of the past by helping his clients access lost memories. Living on the fringes of the sunken Miami coast, his life is forever changed as he uncovers a violent conspiracy while trying to solve the mystery behind a client who disappeared. James, what did one think of Reminiscence? This is a shockingly poor effort, considering the alleged talent involved. The marketing would have you believe that it can be compared with Inception and Memento, but that's fake news. In the near future, you can be hypnotized into recalling your memories in 360-degree full HD video. Hugh Jackman meets a woman who looks like Rebecca Ferguson. She disappears. He spends the rest of the film looking for her. So it's a detective story. Oh, and the sea levels have risen and there's water everywhere, but no one talks about that and it's not followed up on. It's all about the relationship between Hugh Jackman and Rebecca Ferguson, but you find out that they've only been together for three months. Like, maybe she just ghosted you, bro. You had no chemistry. Get over it. Tom Cruise has chemistry with Rebecca Ferguson, but you don't. It's plodding. It plods along. One of the reasons I love Lawrence of Arabia so much is that every scene seems to happen because of the previous scene. That's basic. That's basic. In this reminiscence, people turn up and start talking, and it's like, what's going on? Why is there no urgency? Things just happen. They try to do some, are you watching a memory or not? But they don't commit to that so why bother they tried to do an inception thing but it doesn't work like i said it's not inception it's not clever enough to make you question reality 
This is shockingly similar to Strange Days, one of your underrated films of the 1990s, directed by Catherine Bigelow, starring Ray Fiennes and Angela Bassett. Here's how it's similar. It's possible to recall and record memories as video. That's used to investigate crime. The protagonist is a kind of expert in the field. He uncovers a conspiracy. There's a broader setting of societal collapse and inequality with some social commentary. In Strange Days, it's race and the police. In Reminiscence, it's climate change. There are seedy bars and lovers lost to the wrong side of town, using the technology to brain fry people, the memory tapes becoming important items for the plot. Very similar, except Strange Days is good. There are some good visuals, good lighting. The watery Miami setting looks good, but nothing is done with it. Hugh Jackman is great. I'm a, big, I'm a big fan. He puts the work in. He's being praised for it. But if you look at the directing, he's not being given a lot. But shout, panic, be sad. There's no development to the character, no progression. Rebecca Ferguson. I love Rebecca Ferguson. She's good at being mysterious and seductive. She does well in the role when she's in the film. There is some action, but it's out of nowhere and badly done. There's a shootout in a bar where you can't, things happen that do not make sense. You can't tell where people are. It's very lazily choreographed and blocked and shot. Amateurish action, I would say. Again, this climate change creating inequality theme, why bother if you're not going to do anything with it? I had no idea that was coming. And when it introduced it, I thought, this is great, but nothing happens. Lisa Joy has made a joyless film about memory that I'm happy to forget. Nailed it. <laughs> Loved that. That's brilliant. Finally, finally said. Daniel, what did you think of Reminiscence? I thought I was going first, so my whole lead into this is probably a bit redundant now, but sorry, I'll do it anyway. So you'd said a few weeks ago about this film, and I thought, I've not, I've not even heard of this. I've not heard of it. You give me a bit of background. It's coming from the co-creator of Westworld, Lisa Joy, who is shouldn't even be important, but wife of Jonathan Nolan, who often collaborates with his brother, our Lord, God and Saviour, until Tenet. Christopher Nolan and I thought given the circle she mixes in and the the positive reception to Westworld which I haven't seen and throwing the fact that this is an original ish sci-fi film consider me on board I kept my ear to the ground shortly afterwards and upon its release I was seeing very favorable user reviews I think in hindsight I know what's happened there but I was looking at the scores I didn't read any of the reviews I just saw a C of 10 out of 10s and a respectable 7.2 on IMDb. Can't wait. Looking forward to this. Then, two days later, a very different picture starts to form. There's headlines about this being one of the biggest box office flops of all time. The IMDb score has now plummeted to a measly 5.9. So I went from really high anticipation to completely subdued expectations. As for witnessing it with my own eyes, I don't think I'm going to come down as hard on it as you, although my word do I have problems and I'll go into them. It's not 
unbearably bad. It is bad, but not unbearably so. For me, it didn't drag. The pacing is punchy enough for you to not get bored, and there are some interesting things that are introduced yet not explored, as you said. But it is nothing we've seen before. It's a mashup, as you've identified, of concepts or ideas that we've seen with the likes of, I don't know, Minority Report, Strange Days, loads of others. For the most part, I think it's shot well. You said there's some good visuals, and I agree with that. There's one particular underwater scene involving a piano and a ray of light, and it all looked very beautiful. And I thought, this this is nice. I'll have more of that, please. So some elements of the film are competent, especially for a feature directorial debut. I think this is something that she can build upon. I don't think Lisa Joy is a lost cause when it comes to being a director. Everyone's got to start out somewhere. This could have been a lot better. The acting is solid, as you would expect from this cast. But the problem that you've already touched on is that it's so sloppy in its execution of the storytelling. The main offender being the use of unnecessary exposition-heavy voiceover narrated by Hugh Jackman, where I would say at least 80% of it communicates things to you that you either already knew or or you'd literally just seen or worked out for yourself. So it was like, why is it here? It, It just, it didn't trust the audience to be of average intelligence. So it overcompensates for it. And I, I did cringe at parts because I thought, why, why are you telling me what I've just seen? I don't understand. It was, it was a big misstep and I found it really grated on me. You presented with this near future, as you said, with climate change, the seas have risen and therefore there's flooding. It looks good. But in terms of world building and setting the scene and realising how it came to be, it is non-existent aside from a few throwaway lines. I didn't even know that they were forced to live at night due to daytime temperatures. I'd missed that completely. I just thought, oh, they just happened to film it at night. You're just supposed to accept that it is the way it is and go with it. And let's be honest, this dystopian future and the sci-fi elements that are introduced about replay memories, blah, 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 it's smoke and mirrors to make you think that this is that you know there's more to it than it being a very simple love story because when it boils down to it that that is all this is it doesn't comment on climate change it doesn't explore the ethics behind invading people's minds or even do anything remotely interesting with the concept of replaying memories it's just a love story with unnecessary padding so you've kind of said it but what about that love story eh it's just an uninspired cliche setup of damsel in distress and a man obsessed with rescuing her. Oh, she's a singer in a shady bar with a semi-revealing dress on. She bats her eyes and sings him a tune and he's enamoured with her. I've never seen this before. It struck me as like a Mills and Boones book or like a Daniel Steele type of affair. It was not a very progressive portrayal of a relationship between a man and a woman, in my opinion. And I do think maybe I am going off on it a bit too much because it's not completely awful. It's just extremely rough around the edges. And I'd identify the exact same as you, that complete nonsense action scene. People move 
and do things that don't make any sense. The blocking of it was extremely weird. Anyway, I'm going to stop myself there. Overall, another dose of somewhat passable content, which is a shame because this could have been elevated if a few minor things were tweaked or removed entirely. I thought Fandy Newsom was good in it. I forgot to say that. She is, but also how it treats her character. She has an alcohol addiction. Make her look like it, then. Yeah. Do you know what, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's kind of just, oh, it's there because she needs some trauma. But uh, you'd never have guessed it if we hadn't just shoved it in. I don't, I don't know. I just didn't even I know, know I agree. And make her look, make her look, it look like it and have her act like it as well, which comes back to the directing. You've said there that it's not a very progressive portrayal of a relationship. You could even go as far as saying that Rebecca Ferguson's character is not even a progressive portrayal of a woman character <laughs> in a film written and directed by a woman. She she lacks she lack agency. I don't know. It's it's like you say. It's a Daniel Steele like basic story. I feel like you could easily superimpose Jessica Rabbit into this film in place of Rebecca Ferguson, and it wouldn't be much different than what we got. Yeah. What did you think of the technology then? So it's possible to take someone off the street put a machine on their head, submerge them in water, and then basically hypnotize them with a microphone. And that, that will produce a full 360 HD video of their memories, including things that are happening behind them that they will not have seen, which will not be in the memories. I, I couldn't accept that. I couldn't accept that as technology that would exist. I think by the 30-minute mark, I knew that this was not going to be anything special, so I thought you either accept some shortcomings here and just see how it plays out, or you choose to get irritated by everything. And that was one of the things that I let slide, but now that you've drawn attention to it, there's, there's problems there, and I probably hate this film more than I did when I started my review. And do, do you know what it is? Sorry, for me, that whole thing we know from, well, I do from true crime podcasts and such and, and general other stuff is a general thing. The memory is questionable. People can come to think that things have happened that never did. So I thought this could be very interesting what they do here. Is there something that plays out that we don't know whether it's fact or fiction because somebody may have invented a memory there's just none of that it is what it is what you're seeing is gospel truth thanks very much and i think they could have had some real fun with exploring that a lot more but they just don't waste it exactly and i think they tried to do something like that because hugh jackman recollects his relationship with rebecca ferguson quite a lot and there's this question from sandy newton's character of are you really remembering what it was but the problem is he is remembering it he is remembering exactly what it was in full hd Mm. so it's not a question of is his memory accurate his memory is accurate but there was maybe more going on that he wasn't seeing so it doesn't it doesn't even pick up on the idea that you're talking about of the accuracy of memory and i'm not trying to be vulgar or anything here but even insert a bit of fun 
and I don't know, someone's masturbating or going to the toilet and they go, oh, we don't need to see that. There's just no, just nothing, just nothing. Yeah, and to go back to Strange Days, Strange Days addresses some of these points. So in Strange Days, you have to be wearing a headset to record 30 minutes of your memories. And it records videos of your eyes and audio, basically. And people only see what they see with their eyes. Another thing that Strange Days does a lot better is that it links the social commentary and the wider themes together much better. So in Strange Days, you have people having their memories recorded. And the backdrop is that there's this social unrest in general inequality. And you have a recording of police brutality that someone has accidentally recorded with their magic memory headset. And that all links into a wider conspiracy. And this memory tape is the evidence of it. And that tape leads to an explosion of social unrest. And it all links together really well. Mm. The, the, the race and the police, the memory technology, and the backdrop of this inequality that's going on in the background as New Year's Eve comes. And reminisce, we'll maybe get more into it in spoilers, but you have, in reminiscence, people can recall, them, recall their memories exactly. Rising sea levels have happened, and there's the haves and haves-nots. So there's the people that live on dry land, the people that don't. That barely links up. The ending, they try to get there, and again, it's very, very similar to Strange Days with how things unfold, but it doesn't link those ideas together. At all? No, it just it just feels shoved in for the sake of it, as if they think they've done done the groundwork to get there, and they've not. Daniel, would you recommend Reminiscence? No, James. No. Right, let's go on to spoilers. Bruce Willis' real name is Tyler Durden. Sank at the end. Oh, thanks a lot. Spoilers. So. Quite a lot to unpack here. Um, and I was saying to you offline, wasn't I, that having a look at this plot, revisiting it, seeing what actually went down, because I've forgotten most of it, it's very overly convoluted. I don't even know where to begin. In a nutshell, Nick Jackman learns that May, the woman that he fell in love with, has seemingly double-crossed him. It's been a ruse all along getting to know him. She has done it to do what exactly, James? (laughs) I was doing the same thing as you. I was trying to think, what's the best way to summarise this? Because it is so convoluted. And it doesn't actually involve Hugh Jackman's character that much. It's just filler. It's just filler. Walter Sylvan is a rich, influential figure in this city. He has an affair and an illegitimate child with Elsa. Walter's son, Sebastian, hires Booth to cover up this affair and the child. Booth hires May to steal Elsa's memory tapes of her affair with Walter. So May has to seduce Nick, Hugh Jackman, to get into his safe and steal the tapes. Also, Booth, with the help of May, almost, kills 
Elsa, that this is the, the mistress, Elsa, and Elsa's illegitimate son. But May has a change of heart. She doesn't want to kill the son. So May and the son, they escape to an offshore house. May, using her memories, kind of sends hints into the past via her memories to Nick Bannister so that he can uncover this convoluted conspiracy and expose Sebastian Sylvan, who's the son, and his plot to cover up his father, Walter's affair and illegitimate son. And climate change is bad. That's what happens. <laughs> I'm very proud of you because I, I really couldn't do what you've just done. Um, we didn't even dig into the whole first 30 minutes where it goes into May's past and she used to be an escort of sorts for some drug dealer. On that point, this fictional drug, which I still yeah. don't know the name of. Backer. Backer. It's called Backer, yeah. All right, maybe that's a comment on nicotine being bad for us these days. I remember because Backer is the Japanese word for stupid. Oh, right. Judgy. There's a comment made that nobody comes off this drug. You, you can't. It's impossible. She does. How did she do that? Doesn't matter. Forget about it. That annoyed me. Yep. Just don't have it in. If if that whole plot thread wasn't there, they could have still had the rest of the film. So don't insert something when you're not going to bother explaining it. Anyway, sorry, just minor thing that irritated me. Yeah, even though it was only a few days ago that I watched it, I had also forgotten about that whole backstory that they gave with May and her involvement in drugs, which was all done in flashback. Yeah. And that's why there was no tension, no excitement, because this was all revealed in massive flashback. You can talk about how it's using these memory tapes, this memory device, but you get a lot of flashbacks in the third act that is boring to watch. Yeah. Another thing we didn't mention in the summary is at the very end, Hugh Jackman accepts that May is gone because he has to, she's dead. So what he decides to do is I will put myself in a perpetual loop of reliving the same three months with this woman until the day that I die which is quite a sad ending really sad and lonely he is at the end of this Hugh Jackman but it just didn't for me feel as though it had earned it like we said because he's known her three months it felt to me like you know the whole dead wife trope in Nolan films it's like yes. Lisa Joy went to a brother and a uh, brother husband and brother-in-law and went this is what's going down and they went can't can't use dead wife again you're gonna have to do something different but what in effect that has now done is remove any emotional attachment to this love story because it's just not earned that he should have been a wife i feel like if it was his wife and she double crossed him for whatever reason and get rid of that whole escort hooked on drugs bit that would have had more of an emotional punch but this just feels out of the blue and yeah, I didn't like it. Yes, and that ending that they have, and they show Hugh Jackman in the pod, and he's an old man already, isn't he? It, it flashes decades into the future. And it was a really confusing ending. Again, this is the problem with the directing, the writing, right? That is a horrific sentence to me, 
to be reliving the same memory over and over again. That seems more like torture. But with the way it's done with the music and this idea of having a story being told until the halfway point so that it has a happy ending, it's talked about as though it's a happy thing. The music is as though it's happy. He's getting to relive this perfect three months of his life, three months, which is not a lot of he's Hugh Jackman's age, which is 50. That's not a good thing. The actual sentence that he's involved in, that's awful, but it's presented like it's happy when it's clearly not. No, it's just depressing. It's depressing. It's a depressing ending. But like you said, we're meant to feel something completely different, and I didn't. I thought, just like my experience watching this film, I now feel down. On the contrivance of the, the plot, which I think an even shorter version might be that Walter Sylvan's son, Sebastian, hatches a scheme to cover up his father's affair and the legitimate son. Yeah. That's the story of this film. And Mare's involved and Nick is involved without him realising. Why not just have it be the father doing this? Having it be the son is this unnecessary detail that Hugh Jackman figures out. And it was that was an unnecessary contrivance to something that was already getting contrived to explain in that last half hour of flashbacks. Like I said in my review, if they just trimmed or tweaked a few things which are just constant irritants, it wouldn't be half as bad. I don't want to keep bringing up the Nolan brothers, but right, the voiceover thing, you're not telling me that she didn't scream this to them both and neither one of them thought, no, it doesn't work, get rid of it. It's so obvious that it's a bad choice and neither of them have said anything. It's like they almost want to set her up for failure and I don't know why. Maybe it's a troubled marriage. Maybe he never liked his sister-in-law. I don't get it, but somebody's not being honest with her. Yeah, yeah. It's like someone has said, if you want to keep taking credit for Westworld equally with me, which you have been, you go and make your own film. You go and write and direct a film and then we'll see where the credit should lie on this. And maybe she didn't screen it. The the brothers just said, we're not going to watch any of it. We'll watch it the day it comes out in the cinema. We'll buy a ticket. We'll buy a ticket. One of the, well, two of the 300 people who actually did. (laughs) Yeah, this huge box office flop. It is a terrible voiceover. Classic Blade Runner style voiceover where you wonder what would it be like if it wasn't there? Do you know the moment where, even though this is towards the end of the film, so it already pissed me off enough throughout, but the moment where it really pushed me over the edge was with the earring. So she, he just, there's an earring left by Mare, which is supposed to be a clue. He finds this earlier on in the film. Later on, through revisiting a memory, he discovers, oh, she purposely dropped it here. You know that. And then he says, oh, she dropped it here to make me... Yeah, we know, we know this. <laughs> There must have been about at least eight moments like that. Yeah. When he talks about when he when he visits the dry land richer areas, and you can see that there's no water on the ground. You can see from the massive houses, the security, the green grass. Oh, this is the richer area where there's no water. And then he voice he voice, he explains it in the voiceover saying, in the richer areas they escape the floods and they don't have any water where they are. 
as there's a shot of him walking on the, on the grassy field, there's this one good bit of direction, I suppose, where it shows him walking in water quite a lot when he's walking through the streets. Then when he makes it into the rich area, it shows his feet again, exactly the same shot, but there's no water there. We get it, but he explains it anyway. Back to the plot then. May, Rebecca Ferguson, grows a conscience partway through, and that's something that's revealed in the flashback. So when she first meets Nick, she is fully deceiving him, doesn't care about him. She gradually comes to care about him, goes ahead with the theft of the memory tapes anyway. And then when it comes to killing a child, that's where she draws the line and then grows a conscience and left a message in other guy's memory. That would be an interesting story arc if it wasn't entirely done through flashback. And I know I'm repeating myself here, but that's kind of a bit that we've glossed over that Rebecca Ferguson's character, she grows a conscience. That's, that's her thing. That's what happens to her. That's the only development of her character, though. Yeah. And perhaps I'm going a bit too far, but what would be the reason why she can't make a phone call or send a text to just say, hey, Hugh or Nick, this is the sitch. I've not ditched you. I made a mistake. I know what I'll do. I'll make this almost an impenetrable mystery by just throwing an earring on the floor and you work out the rest. Yeah, because if, <laughs> if, Nick, if Nick had decided, well, I've been ghosted again, I'll just find another, I'll find another woman off the street to have a relationship with because I look exactly like Hugh Jackman. I'll be fine. I'll find someone. If he hadn't been motivated to find her, none of it would have happened. But that would have been about a film because it would have been about half as long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's something that often gets said, which is when you delve into the plan of a character in a film, you can say, well, they relied on this happening. They relied on this happening. What if that helicopter didn't crash right there at that moment? Like, like with the Dark Knight that everyone loves, if you look at it, you'd think, well, if that didn't happen the way it did, the Joker's amazing plan wouldn't have worked. So in this film, there's a similar thing where Rebecca Ferguson gives a speech to Booth, knowing that it's going to be in Booth's memory, but it's actually a speech to Nick. What if Hugh Jackman just never kidnapped Booth and never put him in the machine? Yeah. What if Booth had actually drowned underwater? That message would never have got through. You, you're 100% right. I didn't need additional reasons to hurt this film. <laughs> I'll give you another one now. <laughs> um reminding myself so there is a fist fight in this film as well between nick and booth booth again is the man that's been hired by walter sylvan's son to cover up walter's affair there's a fist fight nick and booth end up underwater nick saves booth because he's stuck on something booth swims out ahead and when booth gets out ahead of nick what booth does he doesn't look at the hole in the ground he sits on a chair, faces away from the watery hole. Hugh Jackman manages to climb out of this hole in complete silence and sneak up on Booth and knock him out. Now, it, just imagine how much noise you would make if you were coming out from underwater, gasping for air, clambering up on some creaky wooden boards, yeah, dripping, with, dripping with water. Through. Yeah, just falling through. Water dripping down, out of breath walking up to this guy in a completely silent room 
and he, and he sneaks up on him. It's ludicrous. It unless, was really, really poor. Unless the score was actually playing in the scene. <laughs> <sighs> One more thing to, to murder this film. This is what you did with Army of the Dead to me, where you said it'd be much easier to just go in, get the zombie queen's head in five minutes, then leave straight away. So mm. in this film, why doesn't Sebastian Sylvan, again, the son of the unfaithful father, why doesn't Sebastian just pay the mistress to go to Nick and say, I want my memory tapes. That's my property. I want it back from you. I don't want you to keep it anymore. Debt protection laws, which may or may not apply in <laughs> the US in the near future. And Hugh Jackman says, that's completely reasonable. I've got no reason to think that something weird is going on. Here's the memory tapes. And then when Elsa, the mistress, gives the tapes back to the son, just kill her. Just, just, I don't know, kill the son as well if you want. Don't involve these other people. Don't make it this contrived. You don't need to seduce Hugh Jackman. You already have a woman who's the customer that has access to her own tapes that she can get herself. I think the only answer to that is that when you look at every single character within this film, none of them make logical choices. So this is just following a pattern of behaviour which he's set out in this world. Maybe that was a key piece of information is that climate change has caused people to not think straight. And that's why they're doing all this stuff. Yet another gaping hole. And something that we've talked about in relation to Strange Days is that in Strange Days, it links together the story of memory recording, the conspiracy and the police brutality, social commentary side really, really well in the end. Here... What does climate change have to do with any of this? I think when Walter Sylvan is exposed, they say in voiceover that that becomes a catalyst for the poorer people to revolt against the rich people. So they try to link it together, but it doesn't work. It's stitched on and it doesn't work. Yep. Like the film as a whole. So any more thoughts on reminiscence? No, no. It's a joyless film about memory that I'm happy to forget. You must have read my mind then, because I thought, why don't you just say that bit again? Sign us off. Brilliant. <laughs> right. Well, thank you very much for listening and going through this pain with us. If you wish to get in touch with us, you can do so at inthealspodcast at gmail.com. It would make a welcome change from all the marketing fluff we receive at the minute. Or you can follow us on Instagram at In The Hours Podcast and give us a five-star review and rate in on iTunes. That's always welcome too. Next week, we are back in cinemas as we review the latest Marvel film, Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. James, this has been, it's been difficult talking about this film, but have you got any um, inspiring words for our listeners to end on this week? No, I'm not inspired because I've just watched a joyless film about memory that I'm happy to forget. Go and watch Strange Days. <laughs> <laughs>